Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. everybody as always we'd like to give you all a warm warm welcome to today's show i'm your host of course faith and you're hanging out with us live on her story too today we have a special guest speaker and author marilyn mousley gordonier nice hanging out with us welcome everybody as always i'm so glad that you guys are hanging out with us live on today's show and we're definitely looking to taking your calls us away. So let me go ahead and give you the calling number, which is 515-602-9735. And for all our wonderful listeners who are outside of the U.S., I'd like you to remember to dial the U.S. country code and then go ahead and dial 515-602-9735. So welcome, everybody. Welcome, 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 welcome. Um, I don't know what to say. <laughs> Yes, 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 yes. Go ahead and do that, yeah. So, Group Allah, Guten Tag, um, good day, good day. Welcome, 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 everybody. Um, for all our fantastic German listeners, wir möchten euch alle herzlich begrüßen. Und wie immer, wir möchten euch heute nochmal herzlich willkommen zu unserer Show. So, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you, Christina. I see you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Before we get into today's share, I'll go ahead and do what we do on all of our shows, and that is give a big thank you to all of our listeners from across the world. And we're going to start by giving a big thank you to our listeners here in Denmark, right at home. Um, we're based in Denmark, Copenhagen, Denmark, in Scandinavia. I know my, one of my friends told me that there is Copenhagen, Denmark in the U.S. <laughs> no, we are in Europe, yeah. So we're going to go ahead and do that. Thank you so much. Thank you to all our listeners in Norway, Finland, and Sweden. Those are our neighbors. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We're going to keep in Europe. <laughs> Hang around here to continue thanking you all. So we're going to thank all our listeners. Hold on a minute. I see you here. Italy, in France, in Switzerland, Belgium, in Russia, in Germany, of course, um, in Spain, and I haven't left anyone I have in Greece, yes, and France, 
and the UK, of course, of course the UK, who shows us mud love. So thank you all of you. We're going to go down to the continent, Africa, and give a big shout out to all our listeners in Ghana, in Nigeria, in Sierra Leone, in Gambia, in Somalia, in Uganda, and of course in Kenya. Habarigani. Salamu. Kilakitu. Kilamtu. Karibu, 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 kiti. Welcome to all our Kenyan listeners. We show us mad love. And now we're going to give a big thank you to all our listeners in Canada, in Mexico, in the Philippines, in Australia, in um, who else? Oh, Belgium. In Belgium. Yeah. In India. And of course, in Indonesia. You guys show us absolutely mud love as well. And of course, we're going to give a special thank you to our listeners in the U.S. And you have one of your very own hanging out with us here today. And that is speaker and author Marilyn Mosley Gordon. Yes. And I think I see her here. Hello, Marilyn. Hello, Faith. I just want to make sure that you can hear me well. Does this sound good? I can hear you. It sounds perfect. Thank you so Thank you for joining us on today's show. We are so happy to have you. It's such an honor and a pleasure. And, um, yes, you all, you really have a special guest. You really have a special woman today hanging out with us. And um, I'll just tell you a little bit about her. Um, I already told you she's a speaker and an author, but she's also the founder of L'Oreal Spring School and has more than 35 years' experience in the field of online learning. She created L'Oreal Spring School, which is the first online school in the U.S., and a premier provider of personalized education for over 85,000 students in grade K through 12. She co-founded Ikawab Internet High School, which is the first distance learning program in Tokyo, Japan, and South Korea. Amazing. This is so cool. Miss um, Mosley Gordon has received the following awards which is the Outstanding Leadership by an Individual in the Field of Distance Learning, um, the Global 500 Environmental Award, and is a Nobel Earth Prize finalist, amongst others, y'all, yeah. So if you want to know more about um, this amazing woman, just look down. I have put as much as I can about her, but there's so much that she has done. Today we're going to be talking about education for girls and also child marriage. Some of you, you know, prefer to use the term forced marriage, but we're going to be talking about that. It's a very important topic. It's very important for us to know why this happens, understand why this happens, and what we can do. Yeah. Um, welcome, um, Marilyn. Thank you, Faith. It's so good Hello. to be here with you. You have done so much. And when I, was re- when, I, when I read about the Global 500 Environmental Award, the first and Nobel Earth Prize, the first person that popped up in my mind was Wangari Mbadai. And I just thought, yeah. oh, wow. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, maybe because I'm Kenyan, and every time someone mentions environment, she always pops up. But, um, yeah, this is really the kind of work that we love. <laughs> yeah. So that's why I was, I was like, wow, because that pops up in my mind. But welcome, welcome. I think Shaz is here with us. Shaz, welcome. Are you here with us? Hello. Welcome, Faith. Welcome, Marilyn, to our show. Hello. Hello, Shaz. Well, so nice to meet you. Yeah, the same here. And nice to hear you as well on our, you know, fabulous radio, Her Story 2. It couldn't get any better, man. 
Oh, but we are honored to have you on our show. Well, it's great to be here because I love telling this story, and it's really an exciting, exciting story about young girls and how to save the lives of young girls around the world. Yes, and exactly. I'm happy yeah. I get. And mm-hmm. go on, go on. Well, would you yeah, like me I, to I, share with you? Yeah, how sure. It all be- so as as, yeah. as Faith was sharing that my background is really um, in education, online education, in se- and we work in 74 countries in Laurel Springs, but I had never worked with girls from Afghanistan. That was completely outside my normal, you know, group of children I work with. And then my daughter, Rama Mosley, she is a director and she films the story for Girl Rising, which is a beautiful movie about nine girls seeking an education. And she shared, she um, filmed the story of the young girl from Afghanistan named Amina, who mm-hmm. was married at the age of 11 and had a baby at 12. And this is the true story. Mm-hmm. And when I saw Girl Rising, I was so moved that I just felt that I needed to do something to help. It just seemed inconceivable to me that these girls would be put in this position. And um, so Rama, my daughter, introduced me to Zarguna Kargar, or her name is Zari. She works for the BBC in London, and she, um, she and I began to work together to form a program in, um, in Afghanistan with Rama called Educate Girls Now. And it was her idea that if you feed the families, and specifically the mothers are given the money for food, they will send their children to school. And so we, we started the program with a very you know, small group of mothers, but we found that these families, some of them were living on 80 cents a month for food. So we began by giving them $60 a month for the entire family, sometimes nine people, with the understanding that in exchange they would also send their children, all their children, including their girls, to school. And from the beginning, it has been an immediate success. Those mothers were so happy. The children, the girls, were so happy to be able to go to school. This was their dream. And now they had food and clothing, and they could actually have an education. And so mm-hmm. we are work, We have worked with 289 girls, and we have had um, a almost perfect percentage rate. We have lost no children from our program in the last three years. We have every child is yeah. in school, and every child is receiving an education. Yeah. And that was how amazing. That's amazing. As you were talking, Marilyn, I was wondering about when did you first hear about child marriage or, you know, forced marriage, and what was your reaction? Well, I first heard about it when my daughter made Girl Rising, and so that was over four years ago, and I was really very new to this subject because I spent so much of my time focusing on education in a different area, and I was just so um, upset because I had at that time my granddaughter was 11 and I kept imagining how would I feel if it was my child 
how would I feel if it was my granddaughter in this position? And that just, it just upset me so much. And I, at the beginning, when my daughter was filming the, um, the piece, I got to see many of the edits. And so I, I saw it over and over again, and I just felt that I had to do something. And even my daughter said to me, Mom, I really feel like I'm doing this movie for you, and I don't know why. And I just felt it was such a cruel, unfair um, situation, emotionally, health-wise, spiritually, for these children to be put in a position of such abuse. And so that was the beginning of why I had, at first I really didn't even want to address it because it was so upsetting, but I felt that I Mm -hmm. had to. And to this day, none of the girls, what we discovered is that if a parent, if a mother, and if the parents have enough money to feed their children, they don't feel compelled to um, force them to be married in many cases. They have enough. So the girls are no longer a commodity that needs to be sold in exchange mm-hmm. for food or a dowry. Yeah. Um, and what right. do you find most challenging part about your work? Because, you know, when people talk about the kind of work that you do or other causes, you know, related to these kind of practices, whether it's child marriage or FGM, or, you know, any kind of abuse that happens with women, there's a strong part of culture that is ingrained within tradition, that is ingrained within acceptance within society, you know. And so I, I think that when you come in to tell people this is not the right thing, sometimes they might look at you like, you know, what are you talking about? We've always we've done this for hundreds of years, you know. You know, sometimes, you know, in some cases, people even tend to be the enemy sometimes, you know, because they can't understand where you're coming from. So I was just wondering, yes. what has been the most challenging part of you doing this work? Because I think it involves a shift of the mindset and a clear understanding of why it's important not to marry your girls off young. And also, I think it's ingrained in the culture. So is that, I think, push and pull, you know? Um, you know, that's a very good question. So what we've discovered is that the majority, many of our families live in Kabul and in Kabul, it's been a lot easier and um, there's more opportunity. Our greatest challenge has been working in some of the outer provinces um, where the Taliban is very strong and um, where there's a very strong um, presence to prevent girls from going to school or forcing them into early marriage, which is not something they want. Or in many cases, it's not something the mothers would want. So that has been the hardest part, is being able to reach families um, that we cannot, we meet with all our families in person if they live in Kabul. But if they're outside of the main city, we can't risk sending our team out to those areas. And so um, we've had a very good success rate with the families we have but we're, you know, in some cases, those families are at risk, even working with us. And that is really challenging for us. And, and very, very sad as well. And usually in those, you know, oftentimes... Oh, go right ahead. Go on. No, 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 go on. Oftentimes. Mm-hmm. I mean, oftentimes we, um, we work with widows 
because there's been unfortunately many, many women who have been left without a husband. And when you no longer have a husband, you are really, um, you are really subject to one the requirement either that you marry um, someone from the family, or in many cases you're abandoned without its support. So these mothers are left with their children alone to try to fend for themselves, and um, and they're in a, when a you're very vulnerable. About, when you're Okay. When you're talking about married within the family, are you talking about a kind of um, wife inheritance? Yes. From either a brother? A, yes. Either a brother mm-hmm. or a cousin or an uncle, and then it's considered to be appropriate, not always, but many cases, to marry within the group. And if you decide that you yourself don't want to, then you have, um, you have no protection. You're left alone. And in many cases, many of the widows that we have worked with, and we work with many widows, are left alone to fend for themselves, often um, you know, on the edge of starvation. They've lost children who have died from starvation, and we've come in and be, been able to really help them, to, to empower them, to help them feel that they have a new life, that they are now able to care for themselves and their children and it's amazing to see the joy that returns to their face, the happiness, the relief. Uh, we've had children you know, even write us and tell us that now they're no longer, you know, scared. They feel excited. They know they can have an a, um, education and that they're safe. And that, in fact, they often say they now want to go out and help other children to have that sense as well. Yeah. Shaz, you want to ask something? Yeah, I want to add that, you know, what you do is really amazing because I know in Afghanistan that, like, when you're a widow, like, nobody looks at you when your husband, I mean, whatever has been, you know, I mean, what has been done or, like, the, I mean, the woman is just there by herself, um, you know, and even with the child, then in these countries, it's really hard. Like, I mean, it's like they they look at you like you're nothing, unfortunately. So I think that, um, yeah, what, what, I mean, you do there, you know, then, you know, try to get them education and this and this. It's It's really good because I know that in Afghanistan, especially not in Kabul, but like in other parts of Afghanistan, like it's really hard still. There is really, I mean, there's still like a struggle with uh, Taliban and um, like many different, you know, things and in cases. So in different situations as well. So yeah. it's not an easy country to live in still. I mean, there is still a lot of work to be done in Afghanistan. Yes, there is, and oftentimes you're so right that the mothers are vulnerable and they are left unprotected, and so are the children. And, you know, um, and you can imagine losing your husband, and oftentimes they were killed during the Afghanistan wars, and, um, and then, are, you know, there's no one there to care for you and love you and take care of you, and you're left to try to feed your children, care for your children. And you can, we have one young widow who just joined us who's 29, so she was a child's mm-hmm. bride, and she has seven children. 
And yeah. so wow. you can you can imagine you know, <sighs> what that takes courage to, to shape. I, I could she, imagine, yes. And I I could also I mean I also know that some of them they have I mean they don't even know where their husband is or some of them they have seen their you know husband being killed in front of them. So I know like it's it's a very I mean it's not even something that you can describe like you know how their life will be after they lose their you know husband and they have to be in a country like that with a ch- with a child. So um Yes, yeah, it's it's really true. hard. Yeah, it's very. Yeah. Um, Marilyn. Yeah. Yes, Marilyn. When your program Educate Girls Now is, I think it's so important. And and as you're talking, and you, I'm just trying to, you know, paint the picture of this mother with these children left alone to fend for herself in an unpredictable environment. Maybe sometimes hostile. She's been abandoned. She doesn't have family or friends to help or to lean on. Um, in, in some developing countries, we see that the young girls and the mothers become their support system. And even in the traditional home where there's a husband, they do all the work. So I find it like sometimes it's very tricky when you, we know it's important to send the girls to school, but sometimes the mothers keep the girls because they have to live. You know, it's a matter of survival first. And so that's why I think a program like yours, when you said you don't just send the girls to school, but you also help the mothers, I think it's so important. Because if this is not done, in my view, then it becomes so difficult because these girls are also like breadwinners, the ones working on the farms with the mother. It's kind of like a support network. And sometimes people just say, send the girls to school, but it's different. There's more to it, you know. What what are your thoughts on that? Well, I agree, um, and, and one of the things that the secret to our success has been that the mothers are given the money. And if there is a father there, even if there's a father there, the understanding is that the money is always given to the mother. And um, we believe that we're setting an example of not only empowering the girls to go to work, but also to empowering the women to feel that they have some ability to stand up for their children, to buy the food, and to make sure that these children are taken care of. And that is really, it's not only work for our organizations, but we've spoken with other organizations, and they have said the same thing, that that is often the secret to success. You know, mothers always put their children first. That is really the most important um, part of it. And so... I think that's been why we are so successful. And our mothers not only love us, they are able to give their children so much more help. And it sets an example for the girls and the boys of seeing their mothers in a position of power um, to be able to buy the food, to take care of them, to not have to worry about sending them to school, to be able to get them clothes. And I think that that has been so important. We all feel empowered when we have choices. And by making sure the mothers are given the money directly, we know that they have a choice. Yeah. Yeah. And 
do you also have schools? Because you have a background in designing curriculum, you have the distance learning programs. Do you also get involved in the curriculum of the school, you know, in, in the schools where you send the girls, or is that completely um, local-based? Yes, good question. So we would love to do that, and we've actually spoken with other groups and friends who are working there. Right now, our students are in numerous different schools, and they are following the curriculum of those schools. And, the, and really, I've been so pleased with the extent of their education. I mean, they're often taking eight to ten classes a day, in everything from English, or they're learning their own language or to English. They're learning math, science, history, art, um, and extensive science work. So we have felt that they are, because our students are all over, it's worked better for us to support the children to be in the schools that are present than to actually start a school, which we feel that would, we don't feel that we have the, um, we don't feel that's our mandate. We felt our mandate was to support the parents to send their children to school. And we can reach more children in various areas doing that. Okay. Are these programs around Afghanistan or mostly in rural, remote parts of Afghanistan? Or is it mostly in the urban areas? Yes, I would say about 60% of our students are in Kabul, and then the remainder of students are in the various provinces, um, and that means that they are either in the city or in some cases they are out in a rural area, but in each of those areas they do have an educational facility that they can go to, and that's actually one of the requirements to being able to join the program. So when a family comes to our program, our team interviews them on two occasions and makes it very clear what we expect and there needs to be an educational facility nearby that the children can go to. And then they send their, you know, examples of their work to us. And so that has allowed us to work they in send a number you, of uh-huh. They send you examples of, of their work? I didn't hear that clearly. Sorry. I think the sound was a bit off. Our team in, in um, Afghanistan, they are examining mm-hmm. the work. They get to the children and the mothers and see their work. They receive their grades, and they actually talk with the children. And, and, and if they're in Kabul, they visit with the children. In areas where it's not safe for them to actually go, and there are certain provinces that are not safe, they um, communicate with the parents via phone, and they also send their work to them. And how many students um, is there in each, um, in this area that, you know, that you provide the, the education for them when they have the, um, yeah, the classes? In, yeah, it's, so like in Kabul, we have the majority of our students in a, same, a place called Mizar Isharif. We'll have maybe 10 students in Kanduz, mm-hmm. we'll have another three or four families. And then there are a few provinces where I can't even name the names of those areas because right. it's so dangerous. Yeah. So, again, mm-hmm. uh, that it's easier for us. Um, there's so, the need is so great, you know, and we wish that, I wish that we had the um, finances to help every student in the country 
Um, and so instead we're working in partnership with other groups because um, eventually we would like to see this, this, the model of this program being used in more and more areas. And um, what's happening is you have to be accepted by the parents and then by their, their friends and their community. And as the community is learning about our work, they are then um, sending in requests for their children to participate. And they, and then as we our funds are available, we bring in new families to participate in our program. So not only do we provide the program, but we have to make sure that the community accepts our program because it's very right. important to these um, parents what their friends and family think about them. And they have to work in collaboration with them as well. And do you yeah. have like you um, know? Yeah, go on, like where they yeah, and then when they start, like do you have okay? So in in these weeks, you need to learn this, and then you know you can go on to the next level, or like how does it work? I mean, for how long are they supposed to be in, in the group, or you know, maybe you know oh, teaching? I, is it like? Is it like a you know because? I mean, does it work like in school, you know, when you go to school and you say you have grades, you know, okay, or like is it only for, you know, some time that they can, you know, attend in the class yes. or in that area that you have, you know? The, um, we, we, we like to start as young as we can. So in many families there are five to seven children. So we'll have children as young as five, in one case four, going up mm -hmm. to 17. And so depending on their age and the schools okay. that they're in, they're studying the curriculum of that area. And when they come, the, in their school year is different in terms of the time they're in school and when they're, they're off, off in this, during the cold months. Um, but they complete their school year and then they go on to the next school year. Our goal is mm -hmm. for our students to stay with us until they graduate and then hopefully we encourage them to either start attending college if they can or mm -hmm. to be able to have the facilities and the faculty to get a job. And oftentimes, even with the small amount of money we're giving them, they've been able to buy sewing machines or start their own markets so that they actually have um, a future. You know, they have the, the beginning yeah. of the hope. So we, our goal is for them to stay in school that's the, for the entire time they're in school until they graduate. And we've already had three children graduate, and two of them have gone on to college. So that's okay. Because yeah, I, I, yeah. um, I'm also not so clear. How does the program work? What is the role of the parents in the program? I'm not very clear. Is this kind of an entrepreneurial approach to the parents to make it more sustainable when, when you give them this seed money and then they support the children through the education? How, does it, how is the partnership between the parents, the teachers, and the students working, and, and you, and your program, Education Girls Now? That's, that's Girls a good now. question. So the, the, the money, every month the parents receive a, you know, a set amount of money And that is used to care for the parents, um, for the mothers and the children, to make sure they have the food and clothing they need. And in exchange, the students go to school. 
with that money, we encourage the mothers to use that money to take care of their children and then in addition to be able to begin to create a new kind of life. So in some cases, they've been able to use the money as seed money to actually um, grow their own business. That's not a requirement of our program, but when it's very happy um, because we will continue to work with a family until all of those children are, in, are have completed their education. So when we're complete, we want to make sure that the mother, if there's a father as well, has a way to continue to um, sustain themselves. But in that, oftentimes by then the children are, you know, will be out of school and able to help their parents. And then, so the, our role is to have uh, is for the parents to work with the child to make sure they were taken mm-hmm. care of, sent to school, to work with our team to make sure that they are staying in school and doing their work. And to some extent, they work with the teachers, although it's a very different system there. So the main, the main responsibility is between our team leaders, the parents, and the children. And from that, we mm-hmm. receive the grades that they receive and the work that they're doing in school. Uh, eventually, we would like to have enough team leaders to work with the schools. Not every school will give us permission to do that. And again, it's a very, very diverse country. So in each area, we, we try to build goodwill with the schools, goodwill with the community, and goodwill with the, um, with the parents and the parents' relatives so that they can continue to see the importance of sending young girls to school and the importance of gaining yeah. education. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That is really cool because, you know, I was asking this question because I, I also have realized when I've done some work in, like, rural, um, for example, rural Kenya, I've realized that the teachers have a very important role to play because sometimes they, too, can be gatekeepers and can actually affect yeah the progress of the students because, you know, I believe that, yes, IQ is important, but also EQ is important because sometimes they beat these children to a pulp and it's hard for these children to focus or to concentrate. Sometimes they, they stigmatize the children, you know, or they, you know, abuse the children or, throw, you know, apply insults because of their background. You know, you come from the mother of this and when you, when you painted the picture of their home and maybe the stigma within society, I think it's important for the teachers to be very engaged from both perspectives, not just, you know, math, but also have that concern, you know, and love and care for these girls because they're a bit special, you know, based on how the society is shaped, you know, because of the society, you know, the the situation with their mothers, you know. Um, But that's why I posed that question. Um, such a good because that's what I have learned in my experience. It's such a good question, mm-hmm. and, it, and it's something I really believe in, because when I started Laurel Springs, we were the first um, homeschooling program in the United States, so no one had really done what we had done, and our whole focus was personalized education, taking into consideration a child's learning style, how they learn, and really mm-hmm. a really the curriculum to meet their needs. 
And so we have had, like, incredible success with children being able to help them, you know, as you said, having not only intellectual intelligence but emotional intelligence and to find their, their purpose in life. So in Afghanistan, what was so interesting was I was working in such a different area. I was working at the most basic level. You know, our first level was, oh, my goodness, we have no shoes for these children. They have no shoes. They can't go to school. They have yeah. no clothing. They're living, in a, mm-hmm. they're living in a burned-out mm-hmm. mosque. Um, there's no father. Mm-hmm. They've been starving. And we had one little boy when we, they received their first, you know, when we came to visit them for the first time, he came smiling, and the mother told him not to smile. It wasn't appropriate, but we asked him, why are you smiling? And he said, because tonight I'm going to have beans and rice. And it, <laughs> so we found with the most basic basic, basic needs of children. And from there, we've been able to slowly begin to talk about and introduce what is your purpose in life? How can you help? What is it you want to do? Who do you want to be? And it's been a very, very, mm-hmm. you know, first we, as, as we've gained their confidence, we've begun to have the ability to do that. And I so agree with you. It's, it's, uh, that's my passion so that's why this was such a new experience for me because I wasn't starting from that point of view. Um, I was starting from the place of we've got to get them enough food to survive and get these children, you know, in safe living quarters so that they can go to school. And, and that's what people sometimes forget. You know, these are just children like all the other children. Sometimes they just want to play and watch television. You know, they want those things as well. And, and, and yes, food is important and all this is important, but sometimes, you know, in my experience, you'd be surprised when you have a good computer game, they would forget that they were hungry. You know, they're just yes. like any other child, you know. And people tend to focus when you're from a low-income family or, or you're, you're, you know, I quote poverty, I, I don't like that word, but I'll use it for lack of better words. People tend to think of the extreme basics and forget that you're dealing with the mind of a child. And, you know, they're just going to be as fidgety as any other child, you know. And that's why when you were talking, I was just thinking, you know, this education. You know, this was education, but I think it's quality education. You know, content is important. But, you know, when, when you said this is your passion, the first thing that crossed my mind again was really teaching is a calling because you're shaping the mind of the next generation, what they think of learning, you know, what they're going to do with this knowledge you know, how they're going to apply to the next generation. You know, these are the future. And I was just thinking all these things are so important. You know, and the teachers, they just have to have that concern and that love. That's what I think is missing, especially in a lot of these rural or remote or low-income schools. You know, they're focused on just learn, 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 A, but they're beating them to, you know, to the A, which is demoralizing and demotivation and demeaning and actually making them shrink instead of making them shine. You know, and it's just so sad sometimes. But I wouldn't say all teachers, I'll say some, but that's been my observation. Yes, I understand, and I've worked a little bit in Kenya, and I do understand that that is, you know, always a concern, and especially when you're looking at the cultural um, aspects of, you know, a girl's education versus a boy's education and the importance of taking into consideration and um, and really um, supporting girls to feel empowered 
that that is so important and you you are right and I appreciate you saying that and want I want to share some of your perspective with our um you know with our team because I know that it is important to them that these children feel that um that their lives mean something to them and that and it yeah and forget for a moment that they're poor just forget yeah. you know take them to the cinema let them forget, you know, how are they going to mm-hmm. dream when they're constantly in that space of just poverty? Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to get them out of that space and just take them somewhere else, you know, and let them just imagine, you know. And um, before we go to um, Marilyn, we have like five minutes left. Please, please oh. just tell us... Um, Imagine, mm-hmm. I am just like, no way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just saw it. What do you wish that other people knew about child marriage and the importance of educating girls? Now, because it's urgent. I want them to know that education, educating girls is our future. It gives me chills. When we can educate a girl, we can change not only their our lives but the lives of those around them. Um, and when we when we when we give a girl a chance to learn, we are really changing the future of our world. And with that, not only do their lives change, but the lives of their mothers change, their brothers change, their whole entire family is made better. It's not only a human right; it's actually a physical right. It's spiritual right and it's something that I believe that um, that we need to give to everybody and I wanted to just read one sentence from one of our students her name is Zahara and she's 12 and she's, 12, she's in 12th grade and she said when she started life was tough we had no means of a living day to day we lived in a damaged room in a mosque we didn't have proper clothes to wear and my mom couldn't afford to buy us clothes or send us to school and here's what she said that I loved now we are so happy. I have clothes to wear. To wear. In the past, I didn't even manage to eat just bread. Now we can eat bread and rice and potatoes. When I remember my past, I start crying. I am so thankful to you, and your kindness makes me feel like I should be helping others. It has strengthened my sense of being comfortable. And I do think that that's part of the process is when somebody feels empowered, then they can empower others. And um, the mm-hmm. ramifications are so horrible that this is a must. I mean, we must take care of our children. We must take care of our girls. We must give them a future. We must. We must. It's the only way we can save our humanity. And the children are the nurturers of the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Shaz? Any last words? Because we want to give Marilyn all the time to put in her last words in a minute. No, I just want to say, Marilyn, I think it's such a beautiful thing that you do. It's not everybody that can do what you do. I mean, it's um, it's it's not a like an easy job. And I also think that I want to add something to like your earlier um, question that you come up with. Um, that it's also very important for these children that they have, you know, like at these you know, people or teachers that, you know, help them to just educate themselves and they, they don't, um, and then the, the children, I mean, they can also trust, you know, these people so they feel comfortable, yeah. you know, with, with, the, with the people that, you know, 
get a trying to help yeah. help them with their education. Okay. So Marilyn, your last words real quick before you even go in. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> go for it. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you both so much. Really, I'm really, it's been a pleasure and an honor. And thank you for the opportunity to share this lovely project. And, um, you know, we would love for people to look at our site, educategirlsnow.org. Um, if you feel compelled to donate in any form, we would love it. We love people to work with us, to blog with us, to send us donations, to even help us. We, we need translators who speak um, who can speak um, a Pashtun and other languages that are spoken in Afghanistan. So please feel free to stay in touch with us through mm-hmm. EducateNow.org. And um, we will. We promise you we enter every letter and we share them with our families. And we will send you photos of our girls. And um, we love to talk about what we are doing. And just to, again, just say that every life we touch Okay, is I don't want you to be cut off, Marilyn. <laughs> Okay. Just go, <laughs> okay. Thank you, everybody. I have put the link down there, so you have it. Go on, get in Thanks. touch. I am. I can tell you, she means it. They do respond to everything that you send them. So go for it. And we love you, Marilyn. Keep up your work. I love your passion and the love. You have it. Yes. Thank you. Thank we you so you much. Too. We need that. Thank we you. We need that. You have that love that we need in all these development projects. We need it. Aww. Thank you Thank so you. much, everybody. I'm so sorry that you have me today. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much. We really need more love in this work. Um, and you me all, too. we love you, love you, love you. Read the description box. You will find everything you need and a link to the website. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.